In this recording, we're going to discuss some of the issues surrounding blowing the shofar when Rosh Hashanah falls out on Shabbos. So the basic halacha is that if Rosh Hashanah is on Shabbos, there is no blowing of the shofar. But the source for this halacha is the Mishnah at the beginning of the fourth chapter of Rosh Hashanah. It says, Yom Tov Shal Rosh Hashanah Shechal Yos B'Shabbos. If Rosh Hashanah falls out on Shabbos, Ba Mikdash Hayu Tokin, Avalo Ba Medina. They used to blow in the Beis Mikdash, but not in the rest of the country. So there's ambiguity in this Mishnah. On the one hand, it's saying that Rosh Hashanah on Shabbos, they do blow in the Beis HaMikdash. So it sounds like not in the rest of the city of Yerushalayim. But then it says that you don't blow in the rest of the country, which implies that in Yerushalayim, you do blow even if it's not in the Beis HaMikdash itself. So how to understand this Mishnah is a debate between Rashi and the Rambam. Rashi interprets it in the standard way that only in the Beis HaMikdash is the shofar blown, not in the rest of the country, including Yerushalayim. So the word Medina, which means the rest of the country, includes Yerushalayim, that there is no shofar on Shabbos. The only exception is in the Beis HaMikdash itself. Now, the Rambam in Hilchus Shofar Beis Ches understands this differently, that the Beis HaMikdash includes Yerushalayim as well. So they would blow on Shabbos in the entire city of Yerushalayim when there was a Beis HaMikdash, but not in the rest of the country. And this is a broader debate between the Rambam and Rashi, in a number of places, the Mishnah differentiates between the Beis HaMikdash versus the Medina, and Rashi understands it in the literal way, that the Beis HaMikdash is the one exception to the rest of the country, whereas the Rambam pretty consistently understands that the Mikdash includes the city of Yerushalayim. So that's the rules when there was a Beis HaMikdash. Now the Mishnah continues, Mishacharav Beis HaMikdash. Once the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, Hiskin Rabbi Yochanan ben Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai instituted a number of decrees after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, one of which was that they blew shofar on Shabbos wherever there was an established Beistin, an established court. Now the Mishnah quotes that Rabbi Lezer disagrees, and he says that the institution of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was only to blow in Yavne, which became sort of the replacement for Yerushalayim. That's where the Torah center moved to Yavne. So as the new temporary capital, in Yavne they blew shofar on Shabbos, but not in other Batei Din, in other courts throughout the country of Israel. So there's a debate in the Mishnah over this issue, whether they blew shofar far outside of Yavna on Shabbos or not. So that's the basic rule in the Mishnah. And the Gemara adds, and this is how the Rambam interprets it, that nowadays when the court system fell apart in Eretz Yisrael, so we don't have any established courts, so we don't blow shofar on Shabbos at all. Now, the Gemara relates an interesting story about Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's efforts to introduce this new decree of blowing the shofar on Shabbos, even outside the Beis HaMikdash. So so the Gemara tells that the Bnei Biseira, who were great Torah leaders, initially opposed Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's suggestion to 
add these blowings on Shabbos. And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said, let's just blow and then we'll discuss it. So the Bnei Becerra said, no, let's discuss it and then we'll blow if we decide to. And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said, nah, let's just blow first and then we'll discuss it. So they blew it. And then when the Bnei Becerra wanted to discuss it, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said, we already did it. This is the halacha. You don't go back and discuss something once you've already done it. So it's an interesting story about how he established this decree. Now, the question that the Gemara raises is what is the problem of blowing shofar on Shabbos? We just assume that it's prohibited to blow the shofar on Shabbos, but it's unclear what the actual prohibition is. So there's two views in the Gemara. The first comes from Rab Levi Bar Lachma in the name of Rab Chama Bar Chanina. He points out that the Torah in two places describes the mitzvah of shofar. In one place it calls it zichron trua, a day of remembering the blowing. And then it also calls it a yom trua, a day of blowing. So which one is it? Is it a day of blowing or is it a day of remembering the blowing? So he explains that it's talking about Rosh Hashanah on Shabbos versus Rosh Hashanah during the weekday. If it's during the weekday, then it's a Yom Trua, you blow the shofar. But if Rosh Hashanah is on Shabbos, then it's Zichron Trua, you remember the shofar, but you do not blow it. So we see that the Torah itself is saying not to blow the shofar on Shabbos. So Rava asks two questions on this. First of all, if the Torah prohibits blowing shofar on Shabbos, then how do we blow shofar on Shabbos in the Beis HaMikdash? There are certain prohibitions of Shabbos in order to do the sacrifices that are suspended in the Beis HaMikdash. But we can't just suspend any Torah prohibition. Like if someone goes into the Beis HaMikdash, they can't start driving a car on Shabbos. So how are you able to blow shofar on Shabbos in the Beis HaMikdash if it's a Torah prohibition? Second, says Rava, there is no prohibition to blow shofar on Shabbos. It's not a malacha. It's not work. It's called chachma. It's a skill. So that's not prohibited on Shabbos. So Rava says that in fact, under Torah law, you are allowed to blow the shofar on Shabbos anywhere, even outside the Beis HaMikdash. And the rabbis decreed that one should not blow the shofar on Shabbos. And generally, rabbinic prohibitions do not apply in the Beis HaMikdash. That's the general rule of rabbinic prohibitions on Shabbos, that they're suspended in the Beis HaMikdash. So that's why blowing the shofar is allowed in the Beis HaMikdash, but not outside the Beis HaMikdash. Now, what is the rabbi's concern? So he quotes Rabbah who said that since everyone's obligated to blow the shofar, but many people don't know how to blow the shofar, so there is a concern that someone will take the shofar and carry it, which would be prohibited on Shabbos without an Eruv. So they will violate Shabbos by carrying it to an expert to teach them how to blow shofar. So in order to prevent that Chilol Shabbos, someone unintentionally intentionally carrying on Shabbos. So the rabbis said that we don't blow the shofar on Shabbos. So nobody has to carry it in order to learn how to do it. And says Rabbah, that's also the reason for lulav, why we don't take lulav if sukkis is on Shabbos, because again, someone might carry it mistakenly. And that's also why we don't read the Megillah on Purim if it's on Shabbos, because again, someone might carry their Megillah mistakenly. So this is an important rule when the holidays fall out on Shabbos, 
one of the main reasons why some of the specific mitzvahs are suspended is because of this concern that someone may carry the mitzvah in order to learn how to do it and unintentionally violate Shabbos. So the conclusion of the Gemara seems to be that there is no Torah violation to blow the shofar on Shabbos. It is a rabbinic decree not to do so. Now, interestingly, there is a problem with Rashi and his commentary on the Torah in Vayikra Chafhei Tes. The Torah says, Ve'evarta shofar trua ba'chodesh ha'shvi be'esor la'chodesh. This is the mitzvah to blow shofar, not on Rosh Hashanah, but at Yovel. Every 50th year, they would blow the shofar at Yom Kippur. So that is the second Torah commandment of blowing the shofar. We, as a way to remember this, because we no longer observe Yovel, so we blow ceremonially at the end of every Yom Kippur. But the real mitzvah is at every 50th year of Yovel to blow the shofar on Yom Kippur. So Rashi quotes from the Torah's Kohanim, the Medrash, that why does the Torah have to say in the seventh month, which is Tishrei, on the tenth of the month, which is Yom Kippur? We already know that Yom Kippur is on the tenth of the month. So why is the Torah repeating that Yom Kippur is the tenth of the month? Says Rashi, it's coming to tell us that even if Yom Kippur falls out on Shabbos, you still blow the shofar during the Yovel year because you always blow on the tenth of the month month, regardless of whether it's a weekday or Shabbos. And that, says Rashi, is in contrast to the shofar of Rosh Hashanah, which is only blown when it's on a weekday, not when it's on a Shabbos. So the Torah is trying to create a contrast between the shofar of Yovel on Yom Kippur, which is blown even on Shabbos, versus the shofar of Rosh Hashanah, which is only blown on a weekday, not on Shabbos, unless it's in an established court. So here Rashi quotes another source, which was not even mentioned in the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, which claims that there is a Torah prohibition to blow the shofar on Shabbos of Rosh Hashanah. So the Ramban in his commentary immediately picks up that this comment of Rashi goes against the conclusion of the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah that there is no Torah prohibition to blow the shofar on Shabbos. And the Ramban's language is interesting. He says, Rashi, because he's such an expert in the Gemara and everything is in front of him like a set table, he just quotes quotes different brysas, different earlier sources, but this could confuse other people who are not as knowledgeable as Rashi. So the Ramban acknowledges that, of course, Rashi is aware of this Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, that the Gemara says there is no Torah prohibition to blow the shofar on Shabbos, but Rashi is just quoting a brysa that helps explain the language of the Torah, and he's not being careful not to confuse people. Now, the Re'em explains that this this brysa is what we call an asmachta. It's giving us a hint to the rabbinic ruling in the Torah. So very often, once the rabbis make a decree, they will try to find some sort of language in the Torah which supports it. So that's what this medrash is doing. It's finding an allusion in the language of the Torah to the rule of the rabbis that we don't blow shofar on Rosh Hashanah, that's Shabbos. But the brysa is not the actual source for that halacha. And the Ramban adds that the reason why Rashi quotes 
this source from the Medrash is in order to teach us something related, which is that the shofar of Yovel should be blown by each person. It's not an obligation on the community. In other words, it's not something the government does, the main court. It's something that each person should do, similar to the shofar of Rosh Hashanah, that each person should attend the blowing and hear the shofar. It's not just something that the main court does on behalf of everybody else, like let's say the service of Yom Kippur, which the Kohen Gadol would do on behalf of the whole community. And the Maharal in his commentary on Rashi, Gur Aryeh, so he adds a deeper meaning to this, that the reason why the shofar of Rosh Hashanah does not get blown on Shabbos by everyone, only by the court, as opposed to the shofar of Yovel, which gets blown even on Shabbos by everyone, is because these two shofars accomplish different purposes. The shofar of Rosh Hashanah is Yom Yevava. It's a form of crying and repenting. So that can be done by the high court on behalf of everybody else in the Jewish community. So each person does not have to go to the shofar blowing for it to be considered a Yom Trua. So long as there is a centralized blowing of the shofar, that counts on everyone's behalf. And that's considered a Yom Trua for everyone. As opposed to the shofar of Yovel, which is intended to show that everyone is free, the slaves are now able to go home. So that shofar has to be blown by everyone so everyone gets the message. It can't just be blown by the court. So that's an interesting idea. The Maharal also adds in this piece a very interesting idea that Yovel and Yom Kippur are effectively the same concept because Yovel means that everything returns to the way it was. The fields go back to their original owners. The slaves are freed. And that, he says, is the effective idea of Yom Kippur as well, that everyone is atoned and everything returns to the way it was. All the sins are forgiven. So that's a very interesting idea. And that's the deeper meaning of the freedom of Yovel. That's why it's connected specifically with the holiday of Yom Kippur, not Rosh Hashanah, which is the beginning of the new year. So that would have made sense to be the holiday connected with Yovel because it kicks off the Yovel year, but it's really Yom Kippur 10 days later, which symbolizes the Yovel because that is the day of spiritual freedom, just like Yovel is a reset for everything. So those are some of the comments about the view of Rashi. And these commentators all basically agree that Rashi does not disagree with the view of the Gemara that there is no Torah prohibition to blow the shofar on Shabbos. Rashi is just quoting in Asmachta something which alludes to the rabbinic prohibition to blow the shofar on Shabbos. Now, there is a very interesting analysis from the Pnei Yehoshua at the beginning of the fourth chapter of Rosh Hashanah, and he interprets this whole view of Rashi very differently. There is a big problem with the view of Rashi that we mentioned earlier. Rashi says that they did not blow the shofar in Yerushalayim, only in the Beis HaMikdash, unlike the Rambam. Now, there's good reason why Rashi is saying this, because as we saw in the Gemara, there seems to be a special exception for blowing in the Beis HaMikdash, where rabbinic prohibitions don't apply, which would not apply to the rest of the city of Yerushalayim. So there's good reason 
reason why Rashi holds that you cannot blow the shofar in Yerushalayim. The problem is, though, that at the end of the Mishnah, it says explicitly that they used to blow in the entire city of Yerushalayim and any city that could see Yerushalayim as well. So this seems to totally contradict Rashi. So Tosvos already raises this issue and Tosvos explains that the line in the Mishnah that they would blow the shofar in Yerushalayim is talking about after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash when Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai changed all the rules. So at that point, he instituted that they would blow in the city of Yerushalayim and all the suburbs. But in the times of the Beis HaMikdash, they only blew in the Beis HaMikdash, not in the city of Yerushalayim. So that's how Tosvos himself Himself understands the difference between the beginning and the end of the Mishnah, and this explains Rashi's view that during the times of the Beis Hamikdash they did not blow in Yerushalayim, but after the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash they started blowing throughout the whole city of Yerushalayim. Now the Marsha raises the issue that first of all, why would they blow in Yerushalayim after the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed when the main Torah center moved to Yavne? So why would Yerushalayim Yerushalayim at that point have more of a reason to blow than before when it actually had the Beis HaMikdash. But furthermore, Rashi himself does not accept this explanation because Rashi interprets the end of the Mishnah that they blew in Yerushalayim as referring to the times of the Beis HaMikdash, not after the destruction like Tosvo said. So we still have an explicit contradiction within Rashi that the beginning of the Mishnah says, they only blew in the Beis HaMikdash and the end of the Mishnah says that they blew in the whole city of Yerushalayim. So the Marsha suggests that according to Rashi, the end of the Mishnah is talking about the intermediate period right before the destruction when the Beis HaMikdash lost some of its status. The court had already left. So then they blew in the whole city of Yerushalayim. So basically, according to the Marsha, there were three periods. When the Beis HaMikdash was fully functioning, they only blew in the Beis HaMikdash. When it was semi-functioning right before the destruction, they blew in the whole city of Yerushalayim. And then after the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, they only blew in Yavne. So that's the Marsha's three-step timeline as to where they blew Shofar. Now, the Pnei Yoshua thinks that the Marsha's approach is forced. So he suggests a different explanation for Rashi, and this is a very interesting suggestion. The Pnei Yoshua says that there is a difference, according to Rashi, between before they blow Shofar in the Beis HaMikdash versus after. Before they blow Shofar in the Beis HaMikdash, you cannot blow throughout the city of Yerushalayim. So that's the first line of the Mishnah that you only blow in the Beis HaMikdash. But once they blow the shofar in the Beis HaMikdash, then you could go home and blow anywhere in the city of Yerushalayim. So that's what the end of the Mishnah is referring to. Once they blew in the Beis HaMikdash, then you could blow throughout the rest of the city. And the reason for this difference, says the Pnei Yoshua, is based on the logic of the Gemara that we're concerned someone will bring the shofar to an expert in order to learn how to blow. So before they blew the shofar in the Beis HaMikdash, we have such a concern because people have to do the mitzvah of shofar and an unknowledgeable person might get worried about doing the mitzvah and carry their shofar to an expert to learn how to do so. 
So that's why the rabbi said you cannot blow anywhere except in the Beis HaMikdash. But after they blow in the Beis HaMikdash, so now everyone's already fulfilled their mitzvah. There's nothing to be anxious about anymore. So there's no longer a concern that someone will carry the shofar to learn how to blow it. So now if you want to go home and blow throughout the city of Yerushalayim, you're allowed to because there's no longer a concern that people will carry in order to learn how to blow because they're worried about doing the mitzvah. Everyone's already fulfilled the mitzvah through the blowing in the Beis HaMikdash. Now, on Lamed Ahmed Aleph, the Pnei Yoshua adds that this gets us involved in a major halachic dispute between the Ramah and the Taz in Simen Tafresh Tzadi Vav. The Ramah rules that once you blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, that's on a weekday, you're no longer allowed to blow the shofar once you fulfilled the mitzvah. So the only allowance to blow shofar on Rosh Hashanah, which is a holiday, so ordinarily we would not blow shofar on a holiday, but on Rosh Hashanah we're allowed to do so in order to do the mitzvah. But once you fulfill the mitzvah, you cannot blow the shofar again later on that day just for fun. Now the Taz disagrees with the Ramah and he holds that you are allowed to blow the shofar as much as you want on Rosh Hashanah. There is no prohibition. Says the Pnei Yoshua, if his interpretation of Rashi is correct, then this means that Rashi follows the view of the Taz that you are allowed to blow the shofar as much as you want on Rosh Hashanah. Because according to the Pnei Yoshua, what Rashi is saying is that even though everyone fulfilled their mitzvah with the blowing in the Beis HaMikdash, they're still allowed to go home and blow the shofar again. So that's like the Taz that you can continue blowing. And the Pnei Yoshua adds something very interesting. The basic rule of the shofar is to blow 60 sounds, 30 before Musaf and 30 during Musaf. Now, the Shalah records a custom. Many of our customs of blowing the shofar are recorded by the Shalah, who was the Rav in Prague. He records a custom to blow a hundred sounds. So many shuls add 40 sounds at the end of davening. Now, says the Pnei Yoshua, once you fulfilled your mitzvah by blowing the 60 sounds, so how are you allowed to add 40 more sounds as a custom? That goes against the Ramah. So the Pnei Yoshua understands that the custom of the Shla to blow a hundred sounds, 40 more than the mitzvah requires, follows the view of Rashi and the Taz, that you are allowed to blow the shofar even voluntarily for fun throughout the day of Rosh Hashanah. Now, clearly other poskim do not understand the Shla that way. The Mishnah Brura, who rules like the Ramah, he quotes that the Magen Avram and the Chacham Tzvi and the Karben Esanel and many later authorities agree with the Ramah's stringency that you cannot blow the shofar for sport on Rosh Hashanah. But still the Mishnah Brura in Tafresh Tzadivav quotes the custom of the Shla to blow the extra 40 sounds to get to 100. So clearly the Mishnah Brura understands that the Shla fits in even according to the Ramah for the simple reason that you're not blowing for fun. You're blowing as part of the custom of blowing a hundred sounds so that one is allowed to do. It's like if someone makes a mistake in the blowing and they're not sure if they made a mistake, we're not going to say that according to the Ramah they can't go back and blow it again. They have to err on the side of caution and not blow unless it's absolutely required. 
any blowing that you're doing as part of the mitzvah is allowed according to the Ramah, and that includes even blowings which are part of the custom. So that's how the Mishnah Brura seems to understand this. But the Pnei Yoshua makes an argument that there is a tradition of Rashi and the Taz and the Shla that you're allowed to blow the shofar even for optional blowings. So this is all the Pnei Yoshua's first point. Now he adds another very intriguing idea. He says that there is a concept of a muktzah which is a deoraisa. Generally, we think of the Torah prohibitions on Shabbos as relating to malacha, the prohibitions of work, and then there are rabbinic prohibitions of muktza. Says the Pnei Yoshua, there is a concept of a deoraisa type of muktza. So even if something is not totally prohibited under the laws of malacha, it could still be prohibited because it's not part of the environment, the atmosphere of Shabbos, and that is a Torah prohibition. Says the Pnei Yoshua, blowing shofar on Shabbos is one of those Torah muksa types of prohibitions. So it's not malacha, as the Gemara says, but it's still a Torah prohibition. But, says the Pnei Yoshua, that only applies outside of Yerushalayim, where they might not know that it's Rosh Hashanah because there was no set calendar. So you can't blow the shofar on Shabbos Rosh Hashanah throughout the rest of the land of Israel, outside Yerushalayim, because maybe it's not actually Rosh Hashanah that day, the new moon was not seen, and and now you violated Shabbos on a Torah level without it being Rosh Hashanah. So the first idea of the Gemara that there is a Torah prohibition to blow the shofar on Shabbos Rosh Hashanah is correct, just not in Yerushalayim, only for the rest of the country. Because in Yerushalayim, they had the high court, so they always knew which day was Rosh Hashanah, so they would know if that Shabbos was Rosh Hashanah, and they would be allowed to blow the shofar on Shabbos Rosh Hashanah. So when the Gemara says that it's a rabbinic prohibition, it's only referring to in Yerushalayim during the period of the Beis HaMikdash when they knew that today was Rosh Hashanah, but there was still a rabbinic prohibition to carry. So this is a very interesting idea. According to the Pnei Yoshua in Rashi, there are two different reasons why the shofar is not blown on Shabbos. In Yerushalayim, it's only rabbinic, but in the rest of the country, it's a deoraisa problem because they don't know for sure that it's Rosh Hashanah and there is a potential deoraisa muksa of blowing the shofar on Shabbos. So this ties in nicely with what we just said from the Pnei Yoshua, that after they blow the shofar in the Beis HaMikdash, then you would be allowed to blow it privately in Yerushalayim, because at that point, there's no longer a concern that someone will carry it in order to learn how to blow the shofar. So this is the Pnei Yoshua's overall approach. Says the Pnei Yoshua, this explains why Rashi in his commentary on the Torah says that there's a deoraisa problem of blowing the shofar on Shabbos. It does not go against the Gemara because the Gemara, the way he explains it, is only talking about in the city of Yerushalayim. There, the problem was only rabbinic. But in the rest of the country, it was a 
Lysa problem. And that's exactly what Rashi is talking about in his commentary on the Torah throughout the rest of the country. There's a Torah problem to blow the shofar on Shabbos of Rosh Hashanah. And that's the reason, says the Pnei Yoshua, that Yom Kippur is different. Because since it falls out on the 10th of the month, so by then everyone knows what day was Rosh Chodesh. It's already 10 days later. So the messengers are able to travel throughout the whole land of Israel. So everybody knows what day is Yom Kippur. And that's why they're allowed to blow the shofar of Yovel throughout the country. The only problem is the shofar of Rosh Hashanah because since people outside of Yerushalayim don't know for sure that it's the day of Rosh Hashanah, so that's why there's a Torah problem to blow the shofar on Shabbos. So this is the Pnei Yoshua's overall approach, and it explains why Rashi in the Torah says that there's a Deoraisa problem to blow the shofar on Shabbos, but that only applies to Rosh Hashanah and not to Yom Kippur, which is 10 days later. So now we'll move on to the next issue. There is an unbelievable comment of the Meshech Chachma in Parshas Emor, Chaf Gimel Chaf Dalid. This is based on a comment of the Bahag, which is quoted in Tosos Rosh Hashanah Tes Zion Amud Beis. The Gemara there says, Kol Shana Shein Token Betchilasa Marian La Besofa. Any year which does not begin with blowing the shofar, so there's no shofar on Rosh Hashanah, ends up a bad year. It's a play on words. The word Marian obviously is related to the trua, but it also means bad. So any year that does not have a trua, the blowing at the beginning ends up a bad year. Now, the Bahag, which is quoted by Tosfos, says that it does not refer to when there's no blowing because of Shabbos. So it's not talking about a year when Rosh Hashanah is on Shabbos. It's talking about when there's an ones, there's some sort of unavoidable issue that the Jews are unable to blow on Rosh Hashanah. So let's say there's anti-Semitism or there's a war. There's a legitimate reason why the Jews are unable to blow the shofar, but still there's going to be punishment for that throughout the year. Now, the Taz asks, how could this be? Because we have a general rule of ones rachmana patre, that when something is unavoidable, the person is not responsible for it. So if there's an army or someone preventing the Jews from blowing the shofar, why should they be held responsible when it's not their fault? So the Hagos ben Aryeh on the Bahag and the Meshachachma also says this, they explain that the answer is simple. The punishment is not because the Jews did not blow shofar. Of course, that's an onus. It's not their fault. So they don't get punished for not having blown shofar. The punishment is for all the other sins that they did. Now, if they blew the shofar, then that would bring some atonement for the sins that they did. But since they didn't blow the shofar, even though it was not their fault, but unfortunately, there's nothing to protect them. So now the other sins that they did the whole year kick in. And unfortunately, there's punishment for those sins. So it's not that we hold anyone responsible. It's just like if somebody's ill and they need medicine and they can't get the medicine, even if it's not their fault, but unfortunately, they won't be able to heal because they can't get the medicine. So if the Jews are unable to blow shofar on Rosh Hashanah, even though it's not their fault, but it cannot cure the sins that they did. So now the question becomes, why is Rosh Hashanah on Shabbos any different? 
even though it's not their fault, but the fact is that the Jews ended up not blowing shofar. So why does that not create a bad year? So the Hagos ben Aryeh on the Bahag, the way he explains this is that because the rabbis instituted not to blow shofar on Rosh Hashanah and instead to mention the psukim that talk about blowing the shofar, the zichron trua, to remember the shofar. So that's enough. It's as if the Jews blew shofar. They get the full credit for having blown shofar, even though they didn't do so practically. But the rabbis setting up the prayers talking about shofar is the equivalent of blowing shofar. So that's why there's no problem when Rosh Hashanah falls out on Shabbos. But when Rosh Hashanah is on a weekday and there's an ones and they're not able to blow the shofar. So even though they say the same psukim and they talk about the shofar, but that's not set up by the rabbis. So it doesn't have the same power, so there there's going to be trouble. And the reason the Bahag says this, says the Ben Aryeh, is because otherwise, how could it be that the rabbis say not to blow shofar on Shabbos, and that ends up causing the Jews to get punished? Of course, the rabbis would not set something up, which is going to cause the Jews to suffer. So it must be that when Shabbos is Rosh Hashanah, there is no punishment for not blowing the shofar. That's the approach of the Ben Aryeh. The Meshachachma says something really unbelievable. He explains that the whole message of the shofar is based on Akedas Yitzchak when Avraham was willing to sacrifice his son because Hashem had commanded it. So the point of the shofar is that we need to be willing to fully sacrifice ourselves for the service of Hashem. And that is the merit that the shofar brings when we recommit ourselves at the beginning of the year and we say that my whole purpose, my whole commitment is to serve Hashem whatever sacrifice that entails. So that's the merit that protects us. That's how the shofar works. Now, when Rosh Hashanah is on Shabbos, the way the equation works, says the Meshachachma, is that the Jews are aware that they need to blow the shofar in order to protect themselves. And yet, we decide that we're not going to blow the shofar. We're going to give up all of the great blessings and protection that comes from the shofar, all because we're concerned that someone might carry a shofar on Shabbos and violate Shabbos. So in order to avoid the slightest violation of Shabbos, we care so much about Shabbos that we're willing to give up all the benefits of the shofar. And that, says the Meshechachma, creates the exact same power as if we blew the shofar itself. Because we're literally living out the message of the shofar that we're willing to sacrifice anything in order to do the will of Hashem. And the way we exhibit that on Shabbos Rosh Hashanah is by not blowing the shofar in order to protect the sanctity of Shabbos. And once we're willing to self-sacrifice like that, so now we achieve the same protection that we would have had we blown the shofar because we show that we understand the message of the shofar. So not blowing the shofar on Shabbos Rosh Hashanah is the same message. It's living out the point of the shofar and that's why it doesn't cause trouble later in the year. So this is an unbelievable idea. Now, Rev Yaakov Etlinger, the Aruch Lener, also has an incredible idea about this. This is printed in his Sefer Minchas Ani on Parshas Ha'azinu and this is a speech that he gave 
in the year 1872 when Rosh Hashanah was going to fall out on a Shabbos. And he does some math based on the timeline in the Gemara, and he points out that two of the worst years in Jewish history, the destruction of the first Beis HaMikdash and the destruction of the second Beis HaMikdash, both of those years, Rosh Hashanah was on a Shabbos. So that means that even though the Bahag says that if Shabbos is on a Rosh Hashanah, we don't get punished for not blowing the shofar, but two of the worst years we've had were years when precisely that happened, when Rosh Hashanah fell out on Shabbos. But then he also points out that some of the best years, the year when the Mishkan was put up, the year when the Jews were forgiven for the Egel, and the year when they went into Israel, also were years when Rosh Hashanah fell out on Shabbos. So the Aruch Laner in the Minchas Ani wants to understand why are the best and the worst years, years when Rosh Hashanah is on Shabbos? And how does this not contradict the Bahag who said that if Rosh Hashanah falls out on Shabbos, we don't get punished for not blowing the shofar. So he says something unbelievable. He says that the whole idea of the Bahag is that if the Jews keep Shabbos properly and because they treasure the meaning of Shabbos, they're willing to forego the blowing of shofar, so then it's not going to affect us. But if anyways the Jews are not careful about Shabbos, so this is not a community of people who are anyways that cautious to follow the rules of Shabbos, so then skipping the shofar is a problem because it doesn't show how precious Shabbos is. It's just skipping the shofar. So says the Aruch Laner, the only time the Bahag applies is if we're in general careful about Shabbos. So then skipping the shofar on Rosh Hashanah of Shabbos is a powerful message, and that year we can have incredibly good things. But if we're not careful about Shabbos the whole year, and then we skip the shofar, so then in fact that will be a bad year. That explains why years play out differently if Rosh Hashanah is on Shabbos, and that does not contradict the overall idea of the Bahag. But says the Aruch Laner in his speech to his community that this year when Rosh Hashanah is falling on Shabbos, so everyone needs to be incredibly cautious about the laws of Shabbos in order to make Rosh Hashanah successful. So that's also an incredible approach to this whole concept. Now, we'll end with one further issue. The Gemara in Sukkah Mem Gimel Ahmed Aleph says that during the times of the Beis HaMikdash, if the first day of Sukkot, so the mitzvah to take the lulav only applies Mida Oraisa on the first day outside of the Beis HaMikdash. So if the first day of Sukkot, when there's a Oraisa mitzvah of lulav, fell out on Shabbos, they would take the lulav in the Beis HaMikdash and in the whole country of Israel. So this is different than the shofar. In the times of the Beis HaMikdash, the shofar was only blown on Shabbos in the Beis HaMikdash, not in the rest of the country, whereas the lulav is taken not only in the Beis HaMikdash, but throughout the whole country. And then it gets even more problematic because the Gemara says that once the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, the rabbis said to take the lulav 
everywhere all seven days of the holiday, but not on Shabbos, even if it's the first day. So nowadays, after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, if the first day of Sukkot is a Shabbos, nobody takes the Lulav. Whereas Shofar, after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, became more stringent that they blow the Shofar in any established basin, not only in one place. So the mitzvah of Shofar and the mitzvah of Lulav are going in the opposite directions. During the times of the Beis HaMikdash, the Shofar was only taken in the Beis HaMikdash, whereas the Lulav on the first day was taken everywhere. Whereas after the destruction, the Shofar is now blown in multiple places if there's an established court, whereas the Lulav is not taken anywhere. So Tosvos and Sukkah and Gimel and Aleph raises these issues. Why is there a difference between Shofar and Lulav? And why is the shofar more stringent after the destruction than the lulav, which is more lenient, meaning we don't take it at all on Shabbos? So Tosos says a few points. First of all, he believes that blowing the shofar on Shabbos is more of a problem than shaking the lulav. Because even though neither of them is a malacha, they're not actual labor, but blowing the shofar is more of a skill than just shaking a lulav. So that's why blowing the shofar is only allowed in the Beis HaMikdash, not anywhere else, as opposed to taking the lulav, which is allowed in the whole country on the first day of Sukkot, which is Shabbos. Then Toso says that the reason why blowing shofar is more strict after the destruction as opposed to lulav, and this is a very interesting idea, he says, Shofar shahula alos zichronam shal Yisrael la'avim shabashamayim. The shofar is a way to pray. It's how we ask Hashem to give us a good year. Lo rotsu levatel legamre. So that they did not want to suspend because as we just saw, there could be real ramifications to not blowing the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. So that's more serious than suspending the mitzvah of lulav. So that's why after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, they wanted to keep blowing the shofar on Shabbos as much as possible. So they instituted to blow it where there's an established based in, as opposed to the lulav, which is more lenient to skip for one year, so that they suspended after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. And then Tosos adds another distinction between lulav and shofar, similar to what we saw before between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, that when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, they don't know for sure that today is Rosh Hashanah outside of the Beis HaMikdash, because they don't know that the court confirmed that this is actually the the day of Rosh Hashanah, as opposed to Sukkot, which is 15 days later. So by then, word has spread throughout the land of Israel when Rosh Chodesh is, and by extension, which day is confirmed as Sukkot. So that's why the lulav they can take throughout the land, even though it's Shabbos, because we know for sure that it's Sukkot, as opposed to the shofar, when they don't know for sure that today is Rosh Hashanah, only in the Beis HaMikdash or in the established court. Now, the Balamor suggests another answer, and this is an interesting approach. The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, Lamed Ramad Aleph, quotes a debate how many times you need to blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. So we blow many times because we're not sure whether the middle sound should be a shvarim or a trua or a shvarim trua. So we do all the variations of a tkia on both sides with a shvarim and a trua and a shvarim trua in the middle. And then we also blow before Musaf and during Musaf. So we end up blowing many, many times. But on a Torah level, the basic obligation is to blow three times with a t- 
tkia, and then one of those sounds in the middle, whichever one it's supposed to be, followed by a tkia. So the basic Torah obligation would be nine sounds. A tkia, let's say a shvarim tkia, three times, so you end up with three times three, which is nine. Now, the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah quotes a three-way debate which of these are actually a Torah obligation and which were added by the rabbis. So there's three views. One is that the Torah law is only to blow three sounds, so one unit of tkia shvarim tkia, and then the rabbis added two more blowings. The second view is that the Torah law is to blow two units, and then the rabbis added one. And then the third view is that the Torah law is to blow all three of them. So there's a debate whether under the Torah law it's three sounds, six sounds, or nine sounds. Says the Balamor, because it's possible that some of the blowings are drabanan, that's why we don't blow the shofar outside the Beis Hamikdash, because it's not clear that all of the sounds are deoraisa. Some of them may be drabanan, which would now be violating Shabbos for a drabanan mitzvah, as opposed to the mitzvah of lulav, which is entirely deoraisa, at least on the first day. So that's why it can be taken anywhere throughout the country. So that's how the Balamor differentiates between shofar and lulav, why shofar is only in specific places, either the Beis Hamikdash or an established basin, but not throughout the country, because there's a mixture of drabanan and deoraisa obligations. So according to the Balamor, lulav is the more stringent mitzvah because it's entirely deoraisa. Now, this suggestion of the Balamor is very controversial. The Ravid and the Ramban and the Melchamos Hashem both wrote critiques on the Balamor, and they both question this whole approach. First of all, they say, we don't follow the views that one or two of the base blowings on Rosh Hashanah might might not be Da'oraisa. The halacha follows the view that the three baseline blowings are all Da'oraisa. Now, we blow a lot of additional blowings, but in the times of the Beis Hamikdash, or even nowadays, if we had an established court in order to blow on Shabbos, we could just blow the three baseline units of blowing. So the Ravid and the Ramban ask that there is no mixture of Drabanan and Da'oraisa in the basic blowing of the shofar. Far, even though there are views that say that in the Gemara, but we follow the view that it's all Deoraisa. Second, they ask an even stronger question. The Balamor is saying that because some of the blowings are Drabanan, so we skip the whole mitzvah. But of course, part of the mitzvah is Deoraisa. So now we're skipping a deoraisa mitzvah. There is no shofar blowing because of a rabbinic concern that someone might carry the shofar. So how do we get away with doing that? We can skip the whole deoraisa mitzvah of shofar because there's also some of the blowings which are drabanan. So there's some very strong questions on the Balamor. Now the Ravid himself answers that the difference between shofar and sukkah is that the Torah is explicit that you take the lulav everywhere, even outside the Beis HaMikdash on the first day, as opposed to blowing the shofar, where the Torah does not say explicitly to blow the shofar 
on Shabbos outside the Beis Mikdash. So that's why we don't do so. So according to the Raivid, there is also a stringency of Lulav over Shofar. So this is some of the discussion about the differences between Shofar versus Lulav on Shabbos in the Beis Mikdash and throughout the land of Israel. And there are other approaches that are suggested in these Rishonim to make sense of some of the details. But I think one of the interesting issues is whether we view Shofar or Lulav as a more stringent mitzvah. Tosvo seems to see Shofar as the more stringent one, whereas the Raivin and the Balamor seem to see Lulav as the more stringent one. Now, obviously for different factors, so you could say they each have their own stringencies, but overall it's an interesting issue.